0: This is where we unpack all the commentary here in our regular podcast, and you get to hear what John and I really think about our guests. I'm Maron Somerset Webb. This week, John Stephyk, senior reporter at Bloomberg, author of the Daily Money Distilled newsletter, uh, joins me to talk about my conversation with Douglas and Duncan both from Schroders. John, hello. Hi, Maron. Now that I enjoyed was a pretty. That one. Did you? You enjoy yeah. all of them? Tell me the truth. You enjoy all of them?
2: I do enjoy all of them, <laughs> but I like Duncan sort of like statistical kind of uh you know presentation he's he's very good at making this stuff accessible
0: i like duncan because his valuation charts tell me what i want to (laughs) hear that too and that's what i like in a chart i like to be constantly confirmed in my biases and duncan does that for me with that valuation chart that tells us that uh, that the uk is cheap and uh, japan is cheap and I also really like the work he did recently on equal weighted and market cap weighted indices. And everybody knows, everybody knows that because the market has been led by a couple of big companies uh, in the U.S. recently that if you look at a market cap index, you're going to get a lot more expensive uh, result than if you look at an equal weighted index. But he's one of the first people I see who actually looked at that difference and noted that when you look at an equal weighted index, even in the U.S., uh, U.S. equities aren't quite as expensive as we think. So he does lots of interesting stuff, and actually, I think his work is is accessible without without a paywall. If you go to the uh, Schroeder's website or without a block for clients, etc. So that's worth people people doing if they are in the mood for hearing more from Duncan.
2: And he writes very well.
0: well he does write well. Uh, sorry, look, we hero worship Duncan. This is pathetic. <laughs> Say something mean about Duncan, for God's sake. <laughs>
2: I'm <laughs> sure uh, he, um, he supports the wrong football team or something like Probably. that <laughs> and
0: just be clear we like we Doug as well by the way And we like Doug and Duncan not just Duncan right but one of the things that we were talking about at length in this was about private equity we were talking about um about the, the delisting of companies around the world and why that's important. If,
3: if the, the, the delisting situation is interesting because it's been happening everywhere around the world. So I did some work looking at the number of companies that were listed on uh, the UK stock market in 2011 and then what had happened over the following decade, like how many were still listed, what, happened, where, what direction they'd gone in. And about a third of them had delisted over that period. Um, and the overwhelming majority, almost all of them, it was because they'd been bought. Um, Not many companies just decide, hey, I've had enough. I'm going to throw in the towel and leave the stock market. Most of it's because they're being bought. In the UK, the majority of the people doing the buying have been overseas buyers, um, mainly US and Canadian ones. So what we have had is the UK PLC has been kind of seeping overseas into largely American and buyers and private equity buyers. So UK investors no longer have the same Access to those companies if they're investing in the UK stock market, and that is quite.
0: A and uh, Doug mentioned that it's particularly important because if if private equity holds lots of the biggest growth companies around the world, or indeed the smallest growth companies, that means that ordinary investors uh, can't get access to those companies and therefore can't get access to the growth uh, from those companies unless they, of course, use a middleman going into a private equity fund of some kind. And one of the things that that. A lot of people like it is not to have a middleman and not to pay the expenses of having a middleman. So in a way, it puts up a – puts up a not in a way at all. It does put up a barrier to access to corporate growth to the retail investor, and that's a problem. And the other problem that we didn't talk about much in, in this podcast, but you and I have talked about it a lot before, is that it's a big deal for shareholder democracy. You know, we love the idea, or I do anyway, of of listed companies being there – uh, that we can see what they're doing. There's a lot of transparency around being a listed company. And, of course, everyone who has a share gets to vote. And increasingly, the platforms and and even some of the big fund management companies are making it easier for people to make their feelings known to big companies. And, and I think that's incredibly important.
2: Yeah, it is important. Um, and you can also see why companies try to, uh, you know, maybe avoid that scrutiny um, and that pressure um, which is the other reason why it's important that we need to have some sort of appeal to actually listing as opposed to you know, staying private Um, although hopefully that's, you know, and you did sort of talk about this with Duncan Doug a bit the kind of rising interest rate backdrop will make the private equity model overall much less appealing um, from an investment point of view and then maybe you do get more companies kind of listing um, or an element of re Um but the other thing I thought was interesting there was that it's because you know you talked about this a bit but the, the whole angst about the UK being particularly awful at this um, and it's not actually true it's just that probably relative to where we think we should be you know we're you know, a, a lot lower down. Um, but every kind of stock market has seen a load of companies vanishing. And it's very much about this uh, private equity side of things and private funding side of things. And clearly that is, does have a lot to do with the kind of, you know, the secular trend lower in interest rates because borrowing was so cheap. Um, but then when you reverse that, no, as I say, you're probably going to find that equity becomes more appealing and perhaps one of the only ways to kind of uh, raise money in the future.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that we that we didn't really talk about with Duncan, but I've talked about with him him before, and I, and if there'd been longer, we would have gone on to talk about this, is is that the huge differences inside the private equity industry. You know, when we talk about private equity, or when you read about it in the newspapers, you tend to think of it being just the the very large cap buyouts. You know, the takeovers of household names or listed companies that 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 you see that you know already, but that's just one one part of the private equity market and possibly the biggest in, in in value so obviously it makes the headlines but elsewhere there's a there's a different part that is not so impacted by changing interest rates so right down at the bottom you have early stage venture capital and that kind of thing which is really not impacted by borrowing costs because it's uh, financed in a different way financed by individuals and, and equity and then you have the um, the uh, small and, and mid buyout area which is impacted by higher interest costs, but is much less levered, so not quite so much. So it's it's the big buyers that are, that are hit the most by interest rates, and down at the smaller end, not so much in terms of the actual financing of the companies, but of course, massively hit in terms of valuations because the valuations depend on on where rates are.
2: So over the long run, I can see that you know it's, the industry has shaped itself to the expectation that rates will continue to fall and that refinancing, etc., is always going to be easy and that discount rates will, you know, always be where they are. On the other hand, um, you know, the good thing about companies is that, you know, they're they're not like, you know, houses or bonds. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if I'd if you could have bought Apple, you know, 30 years ago, you'd have been as well buying it even if interest rates were going up and you still have yep. made money. So, if you get yep. a good company, then this stuff doesn't necessarily need to be a disaster.
0: Well, this, um, is, the, this is the Scottish mortgage argument, right? This is yes. the one that uh, James Anderson, who we've had on this podcast in the past, um, this is one of the things that he always says stop worrying about interest rates, stop worrying about valuations, stop worrying about all this stuff. If you get a good company, a good growth company, None of the things that you and I like to quibble about, John, none of these things will matter in a decade. Get the right company and it will grow regardless. It will chuck out money regardless and you will make your fortunes. Whatever happens to interest rates, whatever happens to the wider economic environment, success is success. you know, Scottish Mortgage uh, was an amazing investment until relatively recently. Constantly traded at a premium to its net of value. Now, of course, that is not the case anymore because whatever James Anderson and the uh, who's now retired and the other partners at Bailey Gifford might say, Bailey Gifford being the manager of Scottish Mortgage. Um, other people look at it and go, Wow, that stuff was really expensive and look what's happened to interest rates and you know, we don't really we don't want to pay that anymore. So Scottish Mortgage is sitting there at a seventeen percent discount and uh, some people think they should be buying back more shares because they issued a lot of shares at a premium. They're not doing that. They're just uh well they're buying back some, but not in the scale that some people would like, sitting on a seventeen, eighteen percent discount and and just waiting.
2: Yeah, well but one interesting thing that they've just done And this sort of goes back to the thing we were just talking about with transparency. um, Is they've just put out, uh, according to this, uh, one of the brokers, Numis, uh, a bit more detail on their 10 largest unlisted investments. And one of the things I think is really interesting about this is it does go back to that point. It's like, until interest rates started going up, everyone is happy to just say, yeah, yeah, fine, you know, I'll take my money, private equity, et cetera, et cetera, you know, fast growth. Now people are saying, well, how do I know that this stuff that you own is worth what you say it is? Because it's not traded, sales are kind of like hard to come by, Um, you don't know what it's worth until it's been flogged off. And so now companies are under pressure to actually start you know, trying to give a bit more detail, more along the lines of what this stuff would look like if it was listed and you could easily access its accounts and you could easily access, you know, the kind of growth rates and all the rest of it. So I think it's interesting that there's this pressure on them, which I mean to be fair, it is the you know, Bailey Gifford I would say, or Scottish mortgage specifically, have kind of been, you know, as transparent as you get on this front. Um but it's interesting. That there's this pressure to kind of like take that a step further, yeah. um, but just sh- to reassure investors, yeah. basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and the Scottish mortgage portfolio is, of course, you know, it, it's very good. It's got a lot of great cash-generative companies in it, and uh, some huge companies. So it's interesting. But one of the ways that um, listed investment trusts and listed investment trusts in particular, investing in private equity can make the rest of us feel confident that the valuations they're using are correct is to buy back their own shares. Right? I mean what you're doing when you buy back your own shares is you're you're reinvesting in your own portfolio at a discount or what you believe is a discount. Right. And if you do that, then what you're doing is you're saying to your shareholders, look, we trust our own valuations. So we're gonna buy back in at what we believe is a discount. And that that seems to me to be a, a a great way to do it. So it is there is a lot of pressure at the moment on on these trusts and as I say, particularly those holding private equity, to display to their shareholders that they trust their own valuations. And as you want one has done this Pantheon International has recently introduced a, a much wider buyback program that does exactly that.
2: I mean well then that's interesting too because then you've got, you know, if if you agree with them um, that this stuff is potentially kind of undervalued, um, then you know that's your catalyst as well. If people are interested, if the private, if the whole private equity sphere starts to introduce discount control mechanisms, then you know arguably that's a good buying opportunity for investment trusts in that kind of space. Um, yeah.
0: I and mean, if valuations are right, this is one of the only risk-free returns available in the market to buy back your own shares.
2: Yeah, I mean, if the valuations are right. But at the end of the day, you know, they they do keep insisting that they didn't overvalue them during the boom times. Um, Um, And, you know, if if they've got the kind of confidence to do it, then, um, you know, it kind of implies that maybe you're going to get a turnaround or that, uh, especially if, you know, interest rates are starting to flatten out as well. It's kind of lukewarm sense of positivity, (laughs) but you know, um, especially maybe if we start to see maybe if we see Scottish Mortgage introduce a you know a discount control mechanism that will yeah that is totally not going to
0: happen that is absolutely (laughs) not going to happen Bailey Gifford in general are. uh, are very against buybacks I think you know there are lots of reasons not to do it you shrink the size of the fund have to uh, sell um, holdings that you like or all this kind of thing take out debt to finance it um, and then mm. uh, you know that Scottish mortgage in particular they have various parameters ar- around um, the extent to which they're allowed to hold unlisted versus listed etc so there are all sorts of reasons not to do it but the, the main reason to do it particularly particularly if you've issued a lot of shares um during the boom times is to um show the, show your investors that, that you will and that you can. Anyway, that's probably enough on 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 buybacks. We don't want to bore our, our listeners to death. Um, but it is, I do think that if you're if you're looking at the listed private equity arena, and there are quite a few of of trusts doing this, and we talk about it in the podcast with Duncan and Doug, uh, there are a lot of listed trusts doing this. The ones that are showing confidence in their own valuations may be the ones that you want to look at against the ones who are just going, oh, well, you know, nothing we can do about discounts, just let that Mm. go. Of course, this is what directors are for, right? An investment trust, they're there to step up for the shareholders. And uh, that involves attempting to keep the NAV relatively close to the share price.
2: Yeah. Um, And I suppose with private equity, the the discounts have traditionally been bigger, Um, but not this big. Mm,
0: mm. Anyway, the final bit of this podcast with uh, Duncan and uh, Doug, we ask them um, what looks cheap. So, you know, excitingly, they, they agree with us emerging markets, Japan, et cetera, a bit of the UK. Um, and then we ask them for gold and Bitcoin. You know, they're young, Duncan and Doug. I was, I was holding out for a bit of Bitcoin there, really holding out for it. And what do we get? Gold. And uh, final question this is for both of you. Doug, you ready? Okay. Okay. I'm going to lock you in a room for 10 years. Well, not really, metaphorically. Um, And before you go, you can only invest in one thing. Gold, Bitcoin, not strictly an investment, but you know what I mean. Gold, Bitcoin, or you can stick your money in a UK deposit account. What's it going to be? Gold. Good answer. We've had a couple of Bitcoins recently. We're getting very confused. Duncan?
3: Yeah, gold too.
0: Gold. I was kind of hoping one of you. Oh, I so know. disappointing. I
1: know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now listen, we're going to. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I was uh, talking to our wonderful producer Summer about this the other day. We are going to count up uh, Bitcoin and uh, and gold replies and get ourselves a ratio that we can keep going. I <laughs> think <laughs> we know where it is at the moment, but uh, you but never it, know.
2: You may find that it's uh, it may be some sort of indicator for the future the Merin Talks Money Bitcoin Gold Index.
0: Oh, that would be so great. Do you think we might have that a book? Yeah. It could be a sentiment indicator. People refer to the MTM indicator. Thanks for listening to this week's Merin Talks Money, The After Show. The episode was hosted by me, Merin Somerset Webb, alongside John Staffegger. It was produced by Sam Azadi and additional editing by Blake Maple.